Hi, I'm Monica Wesley, founder of The Sugar Science. We are um, aimed uh, where we aim at connecting scientists and highlighting their work in type 1 diabetes. Please welcome Ekaterina Bershevili, MD, PhD. She's at the University of Geneva in the Department of Surgery in the Group of Tissue Engineering and Organ Regeneration. Welcome, Ekaterina. Thank you, Monica, for inviting me and letting me to share with you our work, what we are doing in this field. I'm very excited to hear more about it. Um, I wanted to sort of jump off with your most recent review, which was immunomodulary properties of amniotic membrane derivatives and their potential for regenerative medicine. It was a really great comprehensive review. And I was just reading it and thought you would be a great guest. So do you want to talk a little bit about sort of the, you know, what the latest and greatest in the field that you talked about in this review? Yeah, uh, this was the review about the potential of the amniotic epithelial cells as well as the amniotic membrane itself and the other placental derivatives uh, in the field of the immune modulation. So it's well known that the fetus is a kind of semi-allogenic transplant in the mother's body and another uh, organism doesn't reject it. So there is a kind of tolerance that takes place in the uterus and this is facilitated mostly by the placental cells, amniotic cells, tropoblasts, uh, by help of several molecules that are expressed by these cells and most of them are uh, MHC1, class one non-classical molecules. These are HLAG, HLAE, PDL1, CD47, okay. that all, all are known to be a, you know, the key players in immune evasion. And the cancer cells also, they do express these uh, molecules, especially PDL1, HLAG, and CD47, and they succeed to evade immune, uh, immune system and to engraft and to proliferate and to uh, met metastatize. So this is uh, more or less the same mechanism that takes part in the uterus and the, uh, the tolerance, immunologic tolerance takes place and it lasts up to the nine months until the baby is uh, born. So this is very interesting um, uh, strategy that could be applied, for example, by us for the islet, uh, in the islet transplantation field. So to avoid or cut down maximally the immune suppression. And that's, that's, that's what we were reviewing in this paper, to be brief. Yeah, yeah to be brief, that was a good review. I, I'm, I really like the fact, um, you know, when you were talking about the use of an amniotic membrane as a scaffold, offering all the components necessary to create an optimal environment for cell and tissue regeneration. And you and I spoke a little bit about that, the, the idea of a scaffold. Can you comment yeah. on it? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Because uh, the amniotic membrane has been used it's already decades for in the burn, uh, in the wound treatment as a, as a dressing of the burns and wounds. Uh, it was used for the cornea replacement as well. 
and we decide, and also it was used as a bio, uh, you know the biological membrane for the tissue regeneration and the, uh, in the uh, in the field of the biotechnology so and we uh, we thought that we can use the membrane to to produce hydrogels or we also used placenta. We are using also placenta as a scaffold. We are decellularizing the placenta and using it as a scaffold to recellularize it with islets or the island cells. And this was the idea behind the behind it to that it can it contains the molecules and extracellular matrix, which is very similar to islet extracellular matrix because. It is uh, known now more and more papers are elucidating this side of the islets residing into the pancreas that the islet cells are microorgans within the huge organ. These are endocrine microorgans that are assembled from different kinds of cells, not only endocrine cells, but also other kinds like fibroblasts, microphages, endothelial cells. And the proper function and the survival of this islet depends mostly on the interaction of these cells between each other. There is not only beta cells. There are different kinds of cells that interact, communicate, and they have a intense crosstalk, but this is not all. What is important also for islet function is that their contact with extracellular matrix and it's quite abundant in the islet. They have a two layer of extracellular matrix. One is which is defining them from the exocrine tissue. Another is covering specifically the endocrine cells. Between them, there are the molecules, laminin, fibronectin, collagens, one, four, so on and so forth. And the, their contact with the cells are facilitated by integrins. And if we block this contact, we, it has been shown in the experiments that the contacts between extracellular matrix and the islet cells are very important. They don't function properly. They have more apoptosis, which is called anoikis because the, uh, the disconnection of the ECM and islet cells, it leads to the programmed cell death, which is uh, defined as anoikis, as I say. And also function, it's decreasing their producing of the insulin in response of the glucose stimulation is drastically decreased. These are the things that when we are speaking about the matrix or delivering or the replacing of beta cells, we should also think about the niche of the islet where it yeah. resides. And uh, during the, for example, the now when we isolate islets, we, we are removing them from the natural environment. Uh, we lose a lot of extracellular matrix. We culture it silence during the several days and then we, we do even worse we transplant in a hostile environment inside of the blood vessel so these islets are lost most of them are lost in the immediate time points after the transplantation and then later because they, they need vascularization they are different size they are not uniform in size some are huge some are small and they survive by diffusion and the bigger islet is more uh, less uh, diffuse this oxygen and nutrients and they, they, they really they really 
get eliminated and uh, only 30% of the transplanted dialects and graft and survive in the, in the host. These are the problems we, we are facing right now in the clinical island transplantation. I myself, I am working with human island isolations and we transplant it in the diabetic patients. So we have a lot of, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, to completely crush this, uh, this uh, approach because uh, it has, we get a nice glycemic control which lasts about the five years. Uh, even if we don't get glycemic control, we can uh, we can uh, you know, we can treat uh, diabetes and uh, uh, hypoglycemia and awareness, which is a huge problem. As with islet transplantation, it's it, it, it's a curative for this, but at the same time we have a huge problem. So first is engraftment, vascularization. Yeah and so on uh, and what is important immune immune suppression that we need to apply for the patients with the both pancreas transplantation or islet transplantation and that that is a problem because we cannot offer this to uh, to all the patients who has a yeah. diabetes it's not ideal to have the immune suppression and when you're talking about the transplants, just in general now, you're talking about the, you know, just into the portal vein system, um, you know, the, the islet transplant in that way or, yeah, right? The historical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the clinical practice, what we are doing is we are transplanting islets into the portal vein to, to reach the liver. Yeah. So done uh, in the minimally invasive it's minimally invasive procedure and it has less complication no complication practically compared to the pancreas transplantation for example but there is a many many things that needs to be improved to to be uh, as efficient as we would like to see in the in the type 1 diabetic patients i think um so let's let's shift gears for a minute. So there's also there's a couple of companies I know that are looking into um, this the use of you know placental derived products, placental allogenic cells. You know um, I know one here in Los Angeles, Cellularity. Uh, the CEO is Rob Harari, and they are in phase two for their um, Crohn's disease. Um, you know, treatment and uh, in clinical trials for Crohn's disease. There's also, you know, there's, there's a couple, there's another one called Pluristem, which people are talking about now using placental derivatives to try to help these um, inflammatory diseases. So do you want to comment a little bit about now your unique approach with pink, with islet transplant and the use of these allergenic derivatives? Yeah, sure. Uh, there are some uh, companies that I know and that are there for sure. There are some that I don't know because there are the amniotic epithelial cells and placental cells. They are getting more and more popularity because yes. of their, uh, you know, because there are so many papers now elucidating their, uh, their unique properties that uh, I don't know, they, they were known for uh, years, but now, uh, you know, with these new fundings and uh, increasing the funding of research, that's what it gives. 
the many groups are working and the results are confirmed from one lab to another and they are quite consistent. So these cells have shown themselves as a fantastic uh, fighters against uh, inflammation. So, which is also very important for us. They, they, they have a strong anti-inflammatory properties. They have, as I already said, uh, immunomodulatory and immune even suppressive. They can suppress the cell uh, uh, proliferation and activation. They block dendritic cells. They, they can shift macrophages to, to, uh, from M1 to M2. Mm -hmm. uh, they, can, uh, they can shift T cells from uh, uh, to the T-Rex population, so to the phenotype, sorry. So, and these are the unique uh, unique abilities that uh, that can be used uh, for our purpose. So, but more uh, than that, they they can also be used against fibrosis, and they are using against uh, now in the experiment. And also, there are clinical trials. I, I have seen that people are using placental derivative deciduous cells, even NK cells are used uh, derived from placenta because they are photogenic, they can, they can decrease fibrosis. In the COVID now, the COVID uh, pandemics, they, these cells are getting used for IRBS, for, uh, for the complications from the uh, immune system, for a cytokine storm, and also the lung, so that which, uh, which is affected uh, by the, the cytokine storm. So these are the things, uh, of course, there are many, many companies that are producing, and this, what is most important, I don't want to forget, that these cells are easily accessible. Mm -hmm are discarded after the birth of the baby so and literally there is no ethical uh, ethical uh, problems of getting these cells they you don't need to harm it's not invasive this uh, this material can be collected and in huge amount you can pull this cell what is important important also because uh, they are not immunogenic these cells mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Potential. Yeah, it's a it's a potential gold mine, really, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the right uh, right uh, strategy and very uh, you know the the organized way, it can lead to a very interesting thing. And one more thing that the placental cells they showed themselves as a pluripotent uh, source of their cells. Mm -hmm. They do have, they do have similar, but not exactly the same uh, markers they express as a, uh, as a embryonal stem cells. So CCA4, OCT4, NANOC, and straw, uh, they are uh, secret, they are expressed uh, by these cells at less extent, but this means that these cells can be utilized in, in a very nice uh, way or in regenerative medicine. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I think it's, I, I think there's going to be a big um, expansion of, uh, in this, in this realm, I think very soon. And I'm excited about it. What about your work in your laboratory or in your clinical space? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Now uh, in, in, in my lab, we are working now in different directions. As I already, I don't, I will not repeat again what I said, that taking in account the context of islet transplantation and what are the black spots 
in, uh, in the outcomes of clinical eye transplantation, we are trying to put them together to, to think outside of the box. Yeah. We know that there is not enough uh, cells. There is a problem to have the insulin secreting uh, tissue. Mm-hmm. So it can be, uh, you know, achieved by the expanding of the beta cell source from the, you know, in, you know, induced pluripotent stem cells from embryonic cells. And what we are doing ourselves is uh, taking the other direction. We are improving the function of already existing islets by the core, core uh, the by the modifying their surface by amniotic stem cells, mm-hmm. amniotic cells, uh, or to dissociating these islands and reaggregating them with uh, endothelial cells and amniotic cells, and you know generating organoids, islet uh, uh, insulin secreting organoids. We already have published this last year in October in Nature Communication. This was the published uh, work that we showed that the amniotic epithelial cells do protect islet cells from ischemic insults. And also they facilitate their engraftment and uh, they facilitate their revascularization when they are transplanted in diabetic uh, hosts. So another strategy that we want to address is to generate the um, extracellular matrix because we know that the, without providing minimum of extracellular matrix to the islets that are torn from their, you know, we literally tear them from the pancreas with collagenase, we, br- we break all that. And it has been shown by Oxford group, group from Paul Johnson's group in Oxford University, yeah. they showed that there is no collagen left after uh, culturing these islets for in 72 hours in the in the medium. So this is what we do before we transplant. So this uh, this contributes also of the loss of the islets. So we are we are substituting this uh, gap, and what we are doing we we are producing hydrogen from the amniotic membrane. And the second work, which is funded by GDRF, and I want to thank the GDRF for uh, giving us possibility to, to, to develop this strategy, is to, we are using the placental cotyledon, placental tissue, because the idea behind it is that the placenta, between placenta and the, uh, the mother, there is no communication, no direct blood flow, the transport of the oxygen and nutrient is facilitated by the, trans, uh, the diffusion. So placental tissue is a, is a sponge and it's not immunogenic as well. So what we are doing, we are removing all the cells from placenta with the serialization technique mm-hmm. and reseeding them with islets or islet cells and endothelial cells. And this is the technology what was first published by Milan Group with Antonio Citro and the colleagues, that they, they prevascularized these, uh, their lungs from, derived from the rat before they transplanted them to the, into the mice. And this is the strategy that we apply for the placental tissue also and to check if they could support also the islets and it could be a good home, let's say. Yeah. I mean, really, it does seem ideal. Um, if you can get everything sort of tweaked right, 
it, it could be an ideal situation for an implant. Yeah, and the third, uh, third, I did not finish. Sorry, I am too long. I, I no, no, it's great. Keep going. So, uh, third, uh, third strategy that we want to apply is to use self camouflage strategy. It is known if you are using some cells from the host. For example, now here we want to use blood derived uh, cells and to uh, its poex, like blood outgrowth endothelial cells, which can be. Re received from the patients itself mm -hmm. and use it as an endothelial cell source and on top of that we are going to manipulate amniotic epithelial cells and to make them more intense uh, there this potential of local immune suppression to make them more potent or to see, because as I said, there are several molecules that are known, HLA-G, HLA-E, mm -hmm. CD47, it's a CD47, it don't eat me molecule, it's known, and another is PDL one which works on uh, T-cells, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it don't find me, it's called another way, don't find me molecule, so it's, uh, but this is not on, this, this, Problem is not in the single molecules. As I already said with islets, it's not only the combination, but also interaction between these. So yeah. we need to, to find the right balance between this or that and uh, their signaling and the changing their patterns during inflammation or, uh, uh, you know, this is the thing that we are working right now. And for this, uh, this is not the work for one lab. So no. we have huge consortium. We are there. We have partners, you know, uh, from Milan. Antonio, I already spoke about him. So about his work. He's we have, our, yes, we spoke to Antonio. He's on our podcast. <laughs> I am. So he, he is in our team. Uh, in uh, uh, We have uh, very good uh, gene engineers uh, from Italy, they are going to manipulate these cells with CRISPR-Cas technology. Uh, immunologists from Lyon, Olivier Tonin, he's very uh, prominent and brilliant scientist in this field. And uh, he's, uh, uh, he's going to, 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 to cover the immunological part of this work. And uh, I hope, uh, and yes, and what is most important that we, we will test this, our, uh, our uh, pancreas in a humanized mouse model, which will be provided by Munich uh, from, uh, from the Johann Seisler, who, is, uh, who has this, uh, this uh, model in, uh, in, in it works in his hands and we will see how the human immunity will be able to accept the construct that we are going to um, to generate yeah i love this um i love this idea of collaboration and bringing in people from discipline different disciplines to contribute to the project i think that makes such a strong project because no one, not one, no one person can be, you know, um, an expert in, in so many different um, fields. And that's really what it takes. I think the type 1 diabetes is a multifactorial disease. Many different people are studying the, the different factors or the different fields, you know, deeply. 
but to bring together a group like this is fantastic. It's really the way forward. Yeah, this is my credo, if you want, you know, my motto, that, you know, the era of the single scientist is gone. So every, if you want to make a progress, you know, you should, you should forget, you know, you should collaborate. You should team up with the people, sometimes with absolutely uh, no related disciplines. So because the thing is that you see things, but there are many uh, others that can see better than you at some extent. And it's all about collaboration. This, yeah. this, uh, this I think, is the only way, only way to deliver. I, I agree. I totally agree. And it's, um, it's so refreshing to hear you say this and excited. I'm excited for your group. I, um, I do want to ask you, you know, the, the pancreatic beta cell itself secretes HLAG. Uh, Laura, Chris's group, it, when she was at the SOC, showed how it has sort of a polarized expression of HLAG. And I just was, it's so curious, isn't it? Like if it's, Expressing HLAG, which is supposed to sort of protect it from the immune system, I mean, the placental trophoblastic cells express HLAG, and that's uh, protective from the immune system, protects them um, from the immune system. What happens? Why does the immune system still sort of override that signal and still attack the uh, pancreatic beta cell? Just sort of just hypotheses off the, you know, off the cuff. It's a great hypothesis and a great question. And uh, what I think, honestly, is uh, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know why diabetes develops because of there is... A, yes, this is correct. We know that pancreatic islets, they express HLAG. But is it why diabetes develops? Because the, the HLAG expression gets at some point disrupted and underregulated or the HLAG gets underregulated because diabetes uh, develops. Mm -hmm. What is the reason? This is something we don't know and the literature is quite uh, not quite reaching this direction. Yeah, not there yet. It's controversial because at some papers they say that yes, the, there is the upregulation of HLAG in the onset of diabetes and in the young population, and because they stress that there might be the, some viral etiology of uh, diabetes development. Some just recently it was a paper from Brazil that showed that indeed in diabetic patients there are express. HLAG mostly in the infiltrating cells, lymphocytes, mm -hmm. but not in the islets, and it was drastically decreased. And they showed uh, nice uh, positive and negative controls that they, 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 the pictures were quite uh, convincing. But uh, there is also the studies on PDL1 on the islets, you know, yes. that's kind of thing. The islets are organs. And there, to understand this, we need very elegant and refined experimental uh, uh, studies. We, want to, we need to investigate more the islets that are transplanted, for example, in the patients. We need to investigate pancreas before in the healthy subjects and the diabetics. And this is huge, uh, huge work that needs to be performed not only by, again, not from the single center, but it should be multi-center work. 
because we need to share experience, samples, etc., etc. This is not easy. So only that way we can understand what is. Yeah, and I, I I think you're right on there. The the actually the the timeline of the uh, beta cells descent into disease and what is what it's expressing at the surface um, during that timeline really needs to be dissected. And, you know, maybe that's through samples and pod samples here in the U.S. And I know Europe has its own, um, you know, pancreata samples. Uh, or maybe in something like a real-time display. I mean, there's a couple of really um, excellent Nordic um, pancreatic um, microscopic uh, scientists who are now looking at the pancreas in real time and maybe they're going to be the ones that will discover you know what what is what are the signals that the pancreas the islets are or beta cells i guess let's talk just the beta cells what are they displaying on their surface as they descend into their destruction so i think that'll be really an interesting um, experiment this will be discovery of the century i can tell <laughs> <laughs> if we will, if we will, if we will understand the, the etiological factor of the onset of the, the triggering diabetes, you know, we will cure diabetes. The, the, the moment we will understand why it's occurring, we will cure this disease. The problem is now that we don't really know, don't really know what. Uh, these are the hypotheses. Everybody yes. has their own. And, you know, sometimes it's more convincing, sometimes less convincing, sometimes, you know. But uh, there are many hypotheses, but none of them is uh, for sure. No, it's, it's true. I, th I do think as we, the sugar science, our intent is that as we grow, we're only two months old now, but we will invite more and more scientists who study type 1 uh, diabetes, as well as interdisciplinary scientists to weigh in on these different um, paradigms and hopefully you know we'll get some really interesting um discussions we have this off the record that we're promoting where we're going to invite scientists to speak off the record which people need because of the ip concerns and then you know we're going to have people that are you know sort of from left field in a way you know they're just they really focus on fibrosis that's their total focus and they will also be in the room talking so it'll be a chance for people to connect with those they might not normally connect with. And this is our hope that the, the new ideas will be germinated and generated. And, you know, in this way we can move the ball forward because it's been, you know, we know it's a hundred years. It's been a hundred years um, of the disease treated with insulin. It's, it's time to change. I think it's time to evolve towards yeah. a real solution. Yeah, but then again, if you if you see the track of these scientists, uh, uh, the, from discovery of insulin when it got to the clinical practice, it's amazing, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, not to discount it. I think that you know, I think the last even the last maybe five to six years have been an explosion of information in the field, um, in terms of you know management with the artificial pancreas, the loop, and then now this whole um, fantastic um, gr groups of scientists going towards the eyelid implantation and the beta cell, um, you know, creation of beta cells from the stem cells. These have been phenomenal.
um, advances. And I just, I feel like it's just going to keep rolling. That's, that was the, that's the one, uh, one reason of it is that the funding of this research got uh, increased. And I really hope that uh, we will overcome this uh, crisis now, which is, uh, you know, more or less will the impact all the foundations that are funding the science, good science, will uh, have an impact because of the COVID-19. So, and <laughs> I really hope that we will keep going. Yeah. Um, more and more things. I hope so too. I think, um, I do think there's going to be some lessons learned from the COVID pandemic and hopefully those can be incorporated into even at this, even in diabetes research, things will be learned that can be incorporated too. So yeah. that's my hope. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I want to, to motivate young researchers to not get frustrated Especially now, it's more uh, difficult times coming with these confinements and the quarantines uh, that, uh, you know, can be frustrating, demotivating, etc. But, you know, if you really like uh, what you do, you don't really work. You <laughs> are alive. So, and, uh, yeah, and I also, uh, ah, okay, since I'm female scientist, I also want to motivate more women, more women in science. Because yes. not, we are not a lot. We are still under, uh, under the optimal number, so, and we can do it. We have the ability, force, and uh, talent to bring, uh, bring things to the table. So, yes. Um, motivate female scientists i think so i yeah female scientists thumbs up i think we need uh, we definitely need to represent and and um and hopefully uh i i think doors are opening now different ways of of doing science and uh accommodating uh women and underrepresented people in science so i hope that this just continues uh, because just to, for my mind diversity of thinking and diversity of people brings more to bear when problems are being looked at it just is just by the nature of uh of the way um people look uh, you know people are different and if you have many different people looking at one problem they will come up with different solutions and from those solutions we can get something yeah exactly i completely agree Thank you again, Ekaterina, for speaking to us. And um, I wish you all the best over there in Geneva. I cannot wait I'm gonna, uh, to see what uh, your lab comes out with next. I'm going to be watching it closely. And hopefully we'll circle back again and talk to you, you know, in the future. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for uh, letting me speak about the works we are doing here.